Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. When Josiah was sharing, just a simple phrase, I felt the Father's heart for the people of the Philippines. And in everything we do, we need the Father's heart. Even, you know, if I'm sharing this morning, or this afternoon, if, I, if I'm not sharing from the Father's heart, then I might be communicating information, but I'm not really releasing what God wants to release. He, his heart is for you. He, he's for us. He's not against us. He wants to draw us near to him. And we are living in a time and a moment of restoration, I believe, of all things. Um, we're, we're living in a time where we're seeing the great and the terrible. You turn on the news and you hear reports of the terrible. Um, but when you see what God's doing, whether it's through the testimony of people here going to the Philippines or doing outreach or just what God's doing across the earth, there's, he's doing, he's, he's restoring because, you know, we are living in a fulfillment of time, a fulfillment of the age, uh, some say it's the, the last days, meaning it's not the last days of the earth because we know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to rule for a thousand years. So the earth's going to continue for another thousand years. So it's not the end, right? But there is a, a fulfillment of a dispensation. And part of the dispensation, the fulfillment of the church age, this age of grace, is he's coming back for a glorious church, one without spot or wrinkle. And so the things that we saw in the early church when he was just establishing uh, the new covenant understanding was there was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and grace that miracle signs and wonders were occurring all over and thousands were being added to the church. Over time, that started to, to, to fade a bit. And the Apostle Paul talked about it. It said, you know, there, there'd come a falling away. Men would be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. And, uh, <clears throat> but before the culmination of all things, that God would bring restoration. Uh, Amos 9-11, we quote it often because we're a house of prayer, but it talks about a restoration. I just want to read from it. It says, Amos 9:11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it, as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord, who does these things. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When the plowman will overtake the reaper 
and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. So for the plowman to overtake the reaper, that's the plowman is the one who's going out, and he's plowing the ground and sowing the seed. The reaper is the seed has come to full fruition, and you're gathering in you're gathering it into the barns, and it says that the one who's sowing and plowing, that the reaper is going to overtake them. So you, it's going to be such a time of restoration that your people are going to get saved, and they're going to be like, "Can you pray for me to get saved?" And and you just you can't even get to everybody because that's what the Lord is doing. And so there's a restoration to the body of Christ. Now, as part of that restoration, he wants to prepare us to partner with him. I mean, we, he, he's chosen you and I to be co-laborers with him. And this is good news. This is good news. We get, we get to, to participate in this. We get to see the miracle signs and wonders. You know, Josiah was up here, and he was praying for people, and he can see the Holy Spirit falling on people, and they're crying. He's rejoicing inside because when we partner with the Holy Spirit, there is a joy to it. There is such a joy when you see God moving, and there's, there's such a joy to it. It's just incredible. And I know that that's what the Lord is doing. But as part of that, he's, he wants to, he's, he, he's calling us closer. He wants intimacy. He wants us to walk as friends of God. So we need to understand what does it mean to be a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend of God? I want to be a friend of God. How many want to be friends of God? All right. Now, here's the thing. We could be friends of God our way, or we could be friends of God his way. When David, David lived in a time of restoration, okay? It says in the days of Saul, after, you know, that nobody was really seeking, uh, well, when Eli and his sons were doing all kinds of horrible things in, in the temple, especially his sons, not so much Eli. But it said the glory of the Lord had departed. The, um, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. It was carried off uh, into like five different cities of the Philistines and until the Philistines realized like, oh my God, this is killing us. <laughs> Because it didn't, they didn't know. They put it in the, the house of Dagon, their god. And it says, you know, Dagon's statue fell over. So they set it back up on its stand. The next time it fell over, his head was cut off, arms were cut off. And then people started breaking out with tumors and hemorrhoids. And they were like, we've got to get rid of this thing. So they sent it to another city. <laughs> they sent it to five Philistine cities. In the fifth city, they said, oh, my God, you guys want to kill us. Don't send it here. And the scripture actually says that a cry went up to heaven, like, oh, my God. And so the Philistines got together, and they said, what do we do? And so their priest said, well, you know, maybe if we put it on a new cart, 
and we give an offering to appease the God of the Hebrews. We'll like five golden tumors and some rats or mice or something, I forget. And, and it was an offering and they put it in a, they put the offering in a, a basket of some sort and they, and, and they put, put the Ark of the Covenant and, and they said, this is how we'll know if, this is, if it's the God of Israel that's doing all these things. We're going to take two, um, two cows that have just given birth and uh, <clears throat> we're going to separate them from their calves. And if these two cows actually take the cart into Israel away with the, the lowing of their two calves, which just by nature, they wouldn't want to be separated, you know, we'll know that God is in this. And so they do it, and they, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the cows actually take the cart and they, they, they walk back to Israel. And so the, the Ark is brought back. But during the days of Saul... There's no attempt to restore the Ark of the Covenant to the proper place. And we know, you know, we know the story of Saul. It, he, he, he wasn't really a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. He wanted to, rest, he wanted to, to see the restoration of things. So when he was made king, he consulted with his his generals, uh, you know, the others in his army, and he says, you know, where's the Ark of God? And they said, oh, it's at Abinadab's uh, house, and uh, <clears throat> he wants to bring it back, so let's make arrangements to bring it back. But the way they bring it back is not the prescribed way. So I started saying when, you know, God wants friendship with you and I. We can have friendship the way we, on our terms, or we can have friendship on God's terms. And one way is going to work out really well, and the other way is not going to work out so good. And God wants us to be blessed, so he wants to instruct us. And so we have these, these stories in the Bible. So David goes about, sets 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 out to bring the ark back and says, well, what should we do? Well, the way the world did it, that looks like a good idea. Let's just put it on a brand new cart. All right, we'll set it on a new cart and then we'll bring it back to Jerusalem and we'll worship and we'll praise and uh, this will be awesome. So he does that. They start bringing it back. They're worshiping and praising in front of the ark. He, he picks two choice men, Uzzah and, uh, <clears throat> and another guy. I'm sorry, I'm just following what the Holy Spirit's saying, so it's not in my notes. I don't even have the scripture reference for you. But um, so they start bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of the presence of the Lord. And they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. And then it says the the one of the oxen that are pulling this brand new cart stumbles and Uzzah, who's a good guy, he's one of David's trusted, trusted guys, sees the, 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 the oxen stumbles, all of a sudden things get shaky. So Uzzah says, let me steady the ark 
don't want it to fall over and crash, and sticks out his hand to steady the ark, and then he's stricken dead. And David freaks out. And he says, how can I bring the ark of God, the presence of God to me in Jerusalem? Like, this is dangerous. And uh, they say, you know what? Just drop it off at Obed-Edom's house. Let us, let, we'll leave the ark there. In the meantime, the next several months, Obed-Edom starts to really prosper. The presence of God is really good. And so now, David starts hearing reports. And he's like, oh. Well, how the heck are we supposed to get the Ark of the Covenant? And so now, instead of just inquiring of his generals and his chiefs, he says, let's talk to the Levites. Let's open the book of the law. Because there's a way to do things. And then he finds out, you know, God actually says how the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be handled. The Levites are supposed to carry it on their shoulders. Put, they put two poles through the rings and uh, on this, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and they're supposed to carry it and, uh, wherever they go. And... We, we were doing it the way the world did it. They did it the way the Philistines gave them a, a model, put it on a brand new cart. We did that. They put it on a brand new cart. And look what happened. Didn't work out so good. So now they, they, they do it the way God says. And they bring in a Levite's coming in. And David admonishes us because you guys didn't do it the last time. We had, you know, the wrath of God broke out and... Wiped out Uzzah, but we're going to do it right this time. So now the Levites are going to carry it on their shoulders the way God prescribed it. And in every so many steps, David offered a sacrifice unto the Lord all the way. And they brought the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. And it says that, well, we just read that the tabernacle of David was established in Jerusalem. The presence of the Lord came down and and. Israel experienced an outpouring of, God, of, of the Lord in such a way during those years that there was almost a New Testament reality was starting to be manifested in an, in an Old Testament setting in the tabernacle of David because the presence of God was there. I didn't share all this in the first service, and I just felt the Lord speaking to me to that I had to give more context. You see, because God is restoring right now things in the body of Christ. He's restoring uh, intimate fellowship with him. He's actually looking for friends. He's actually looking for those who would be his friends. And, but sometimes... There can be a casualness about, oh, yeah, God's my friend like he's your buddy. Like he, you can, you know, it, like it's, it's nonchalant. He's still God, and we, want it, we need to honor him as such. And so he's inviting us into this friendship. So I, I want 
to, to share with you this afternoon that the Lord is looking for friends. And Psalm 25:14 says, "The Lord is a friend to those who fear Him. He teaches them His covenant. God wants to do such great things in the body of Christ, and let me be very personal. He wants to do some great things in your life, each and every one here. He, he, he wants to use you. Uh, not, <clears throat> let me rephrase that. That has a negative, use you as a negative connotation. He wants to partner with you. He wants partners in the earth. He wants those who, who understand his heart, right? Josiah said, he, he, the Lord started giving him a heart for the people of the Philistines. He started feeling a father's heart for them. Well, he wants you to start to feel his heart. First and foremost, he wants you to know his heart for you. His heart is for you. It's not against you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. He wants, he wants awesome things for you. And with that, he wants to, to partner with you. You know, we're the bride of Christ. That's a partnership relationship. That's a, the most intimate relationship, right? But he wants to partner with us in restoring what? He wants us to get back to what it was meant to be in, in Eden, where, where we walked with God. In the cool of the day, there was communion. There was just everything was awesome. And, and sin marred that. So Jesus came to change that. But one of the things in the process that I really believe is, is understanding, there's two things really, it's an understanding of what the fear of the Lord is and asking and making it a part of who you are as you walk through this life. Let me just give you a couple of, uh, a couple of scriptures on the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. How many want to be turned away from the snares or the traps of death? I mean, come on, this is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's not be foolish. Amen. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean, it's pure, enduring forever. It gives you longevity. It gives you the ability to go the distance. We need that. We need the ability to go the distance, Right? We, we don't want to, you know, the tortoise and the hare analogy, like sprint off, oh, this was great, and then like fall by the wayside. We want to stay steady and have it go to the distance. See, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning place of an intimate relationship with God. And now intimacy is a two-way relationship. For example, I could... I know who the president of the United States is, President Joe Biden. I could tell you he was elected in president in 2020. Uh, before that, he was the vice president under uh, <clears throat> President Barack Obama. Before that, he was a senator from the state of Delaware. 
I could tell you he chaired the Judiciary Committee when Clarence Thomas was uh, appointed to the Supreme Court. So I could tell you facts about President Joe Biden. Never met the man. I really don't know the man. But I know about him. And the media's reported things, and I've read about it, and so I can kind of give you some facts. And all the things I just said are true. But I don't know. We could know God. We could know about God. But we need to walk with him. We need to understand his, his heart, the Father's heart. And, and walk in that intimacy, because that's what he's called us to. Those in Daniel, it said, those who know their God, know their God, shall do great exploits in the last days, right? But, but there's a knowing. There's not a knowing about God, like some facts about the president. There's a walking in a partnership. Proverbs... Chapter 2, I want to read the first five verses. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if we want to know God, we have to understand the fear of the Lord. We've got to do all of these things. Incline our ears, apply our hearts, cry out <clears throat> for discernment, lift our voice for understanding, and seek her as silver and search for his hidden treasures. And once we started to do all of these things, then, <clears throat> I took a basic computer programming, and there were certain if-then statements. You had a, <laughs> if this, then that. So if you do this, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You'll begin to know him. See, the Lord said we cannot know him in an intimate terms until we fear him. I read from Psalm 25, 14, New Living Translation. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. And he teaches them his covenant. In other words, an intimate relationship and friendship with God will not even begin until the fear of God's firmly planted in our hearts. <clears throat> Isaiah 11 says that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. There are two people in the Bible that are referred to as friends of God, Abraham and Moses. Now, there's probably others in the Bible that were friends of God, but the Lord highlights them and says, these are my friends. And so if we want to be friends of God, how many raised your hand earlier? I want to be, I am a friend of God. <laughs> we want to know... We don't want to be like David did the first time he brought the cart, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant back, and do it our way. We want to do it God's way. And so in order to, so we need to understand, okay, God, how, how can I be your friend? And so let's, let's look at this. Let's try to understand this. Okay. So there's two guys, Abraham and Moses, uh, that are specifically mentioned. 
first, let's look at Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. When Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him and made a covenant with him. Within the parameters of the covenant, God promised Abraham his heart's desire. What was his heart's desire? He wanted a son. God had blessed him, had given him all sorts of blessings. And he says, but, you know, God, who's, I have no son. Who's going to inherit? You know, my a servant born in my house is going to, that's who I'm going to pass on everything you've given me. And he promised them a son. Before the birth of his son, Abraham, he wasn't perfect. He, he made a number of mistakes. As he was waiting on the promise, started to get a little frustrated, wasn't happening in God's timing. How many have ever felt God speak something but wasn't happening fast enough? <laughs> Ouch. As a result, God created an Ishmael. And what looked good caused them great heartache. I mean, he raised Ishmael in his house, but it wasn't the promised son. When the promised son came, Isaac, <coughs> there was jealousy between Hagar, the handmaiden, and, and, and Sarah. And Sarah told... Uh, Abraham, get rid of this woman and her son. Abraham loved Ishmael, but he had a, he asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? Like, <clears throat> and the Lord said, this is not the one I, whom I've promised you. <laughs> and so he had to put Ishmael out. And that, that tore Abraham's heart, but he had to be obedient. And he released Ishmael. Sometimes we act out and we do things that we think will answer the promise and we, we rationalize it, this must be God. You know, God said he was going to do something and let's do it this way. <laughs> Let me help you out, God, and, and it, it'll create heartache and you'll birth an Ishmael. Okay. Yet through all these things, even though Abraham made some mistakes, he always believed God and was fully persuaded that God would perform what he had promised. When Abraham was 99 years old, his wife became pregnant with their promised son, Isaac. 99 years old. Can you imagine the joy that Abraham and Sarah experienced uh, after waiting so many years? Can you imagine the love they had for this promised child? You know, when you, you have a child, those of you who have children, you know, there's like, it, it, it's crazy how much you love this little person. It's just, you, and they haven't, and they can't really do anything for you, <laughs> but you just, like, God gives you this heart. This is your baby, and you love him. And, uh, you know, and you start to understand what it means to have, live sacrificially because that's what you do as a parent. So, so... Abraham and Sarah raising Isaac. They're rejoicing in the blessing of God. Some years pass. The relationship between Isaac and Abraham grows tighter. The life of the boy meant more to Abraham than his very own life. Uh, <clears throat> all of Abraham's great wealth was nothing in comparison to the joy he had in this son that God had given him. Nothing meant more to Abraham than this precious gift. Turn with me to Genesis 22. 
Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he called to Abraham, he said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. Can you imagine Abraham's shock at hearing these words? Wait, wait a minute. This was, this was the promised child. All the things you had promised me. I think he was stunned. After all these years of waiting for this priceless young man, God asked him. God asked for more than his very life. He asked for his heart because his heart was bound in the child. There was no denying what God had made clear, though. It's only two options. Abraham was a covenant man. He had two options. He could obey or he could break the covenant. To break covenant was not even a consideration for this man of faith. He was so immersed in godly fear that he knew there was no other, there was no other option. Now, you and I, you know, this is like you go to a movie with somebody who went and like, don't tell me the end. <laughs> you know, you don't want to, or you're reading a book and someone tells you the end. No, you're ruining the whole thing. So we know the end of the story. But Abraham didn't know the end of the story. So... <clears throat> We know it was a test, but Abraham did not. We never know when God's testing us until we're on the other side of it. When you're on the other side, you experience the blessing. There's tremendous blessing on the other side. Uh, Abraham's descendants, when they were with Moses on Mount um, Sinai, and God appeared, um, <clears throat> it says that they drew back in fear. Whereas Moses drew near, he had the fear of God, but they were afraid of God. That, there's a difference. Um, had, had they known they were being tested, because Moses said, don't be afraid, God's testing you. Had they known, they wouldn't have drawn back. But they didn't understand this was a test, and they, they cowered in fear, and they drew back. Uh, Abraham had a different heart. He pressed in. Um, so what was Abraham's response to this most difficult command? <clears throat> Let's read on, verse 3 of Genesis 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood of the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day... Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So Abraham's traveling with Isaac, whom he loves, very hard. He's got three days to think about this, but he's staying the course. He didn't say, let me pray and get a confirmation. He knew when the Lord spoke, it was clear. He didn't consult Sarah. What do you think? He didn't ask his wife. He did what the Lord said. So Abraham says, stay here with the donkey, he tells the men, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we'll come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on Isaac, his son, 
like Christ in the cross. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, we have the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Another messianic scripture. So the two of them went together. They went and came to the place to which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there, and he placed wood on the altar. And then he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes. He looked, and there was a ram, and he it caught in a thicket. And he took the ram, and he offered the ram as a burnt offering. And he said, the Lord will provide. Looking back, he said, called out, do not lay your hand on him or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. See, to, to fear God is to be radically obedient to what he's saying. Let's look at verse 15. This is what happens right after. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose together and went to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt there in Beersheba. With the completion of this test, God revealed a whole new facet of who he was. He revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. He provided, gave Abraham a revelation of his character. God revealed his heart to this humble man who had become his friend. God would later share secrets with Abraham. When he came to see what was going on down in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, should I withhold from Abraham the thing what I'm about to do since Abraham will become a great nation? And so he shares with Abraham, and Abraham enters into the place of the intercessor and starts interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the place of friendship. The place of friendship where you, someone will come and actually share their hearts. You don't share your secrets with acquaintances. You share your secrets with your friends. And friendship with God is all about living in obedience to what he said. Turn with me to James chapter 2. It's all about the same story. Beginning of verse 21. James chapter 2 verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which is Abraham believed God and, was, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Notice Abraham was justified by his corresponding actions. The proof of his holy fear and faith was his obedience. To fear God is to believe God. To believe God is to obey God. James pointed out that Abraham's obedience, fueled by his holy fear of God, resulted in friendship with God. God makes it clear again. Psalm 25, 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. <clears throat> with them he shares his secrets, the secrets of his covenant. For the sake of time, I'm gonna, I was going to talk about Moses a little bit. I'm going to skip Moses because the Lord is good. I want to close. Worship team, can you come up? Turn with me to John 15. You should read about Moses. Moses is a friend of God. He knew, it says Israel knew the actions, knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. He knew what made him tick. He knew his heart. That's what we want. I want to close with this. John 15, 14. Jesus, the gospel of John, actually from chapters 14 to 17, this is Jesus' last sermon to his closest disciples, his apostles, and he's imparting to them all the things that they're going to need to know uh, to, to, to birth the church. And in chapter 15, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you are my friends if if you do whatever I command you. We can't, it's not friendship on our terms. He wants friendship, but we got to do it God's way. God's way is blessing. You saw what happened with Abraham. In blessing, I will bless you, all the nations of the earth. His legacy lives on today. Abraham is known as the father of faith. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Why? His master does not confide in the servant. Just go do this, go do that. But I have called you friends for all things I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I want to, he wants to share his secrets with his friends. There's a very different, definite condition placed on this kind of friendship. The condition is if you do whatever I command you. John 15, 14, in the words of the psalmist, this type of friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him, for those who obey his word unconditionally. I started by saying God's restoring. You need to understand the day and the hour you live in. God's restoring his church to be without spot or wrinkle. He's restoring power and anointing. But with the restoration, becomes a greater responsibility on us. 
We need to walk not in casual approach to the things of God. We need to walk in radical obedience. Radical obedience draws us near to him. And God wants you to know his heart. His heart is for you. It's not against you. Radical obedience is not, he's not a slave master. He wants to walk in friendship with you. And when we walk in radical obedience, you allow the windows of heaven to be opened over your lives. See, the reality is we're on this earth a very short time. But heaven is going to be eternity. In Hebrews 11, it talks about the, the hall of fame of faith. And it says some, you know, even gave their lives up in the process, looking unto heaven, right? They, they considered their lives, they were sojourners and pilgrims on the earth. You see, when we hold on too tight, thinking this earth is all there is, then we miss the important things that God has in heaven. And we hold on too tight. And God wants you to walk as friends with him and have your eyes fixed in heaven. Let the fear of the Lord begin to cause you to depart from evil. Let the fear of the Lord begin to separate you unto him. Yeah, can we all stand? I've gone a bit long, I apologize, but not really. The Lord loves you so much. He wants you to know that you can approach him. So he wants you to know how to approach him correctly. So that as he reveals himself in a greater measure of glory... that you can fully enter in in the fear of the Lord. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the room. God, I thank you that it's the fear of the Lord that causes us to depart from evil. It's the fear of the Lord that breaks off the pull of those besetting sins that try to trip you up. It's the fear of the Lord that actually will set you free. Because the Bible says you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. Jesus embraced the fear of the Lord. It says, Isaiah 11, and his delight was in the fear of the Lord. So we just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.